Coming up on today's show. It's the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and the Browns are still in it, baby. I'm going to break down the history of hip-hop and Mike Jones. Who? Mike Jones. And Joe takes a shower with Coach Bob Wiley. It'll make sense later. All of this and much, much more coming up on another exciting NFL playoff edition of the Tomahawk Show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the world-famous Tomahawk Show. This is a big deal because this is the second week in a row we've done a show for the first time in a long time, so we should be commended. Uh, Maybe we'll drop our cash app so you can pay us directly, us being Andrew Hawkins, and, of course, my counterpart, the greatest left tackle in the history of the game, Joe Thomas. Joe, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, It's a big week. As you know, this is our second week in a row of doing an emergency podcast because the Brownies' Super Bowl run is continuing! (laughs) Yeah, that's wild, man. We've been doing this show for three years, kind of on and off, depending on who you ask, specifically the Atomic Flock. And we are in a position where the Browns are good. This is a weird time for all of us, and I want everyone listening to bear with us. We don't know how to act. We don't know how to respond to this. Um, we are in the playoffs. We're not just in the playoffs. We are advancing as a as a as a Browns fandom unit to the divisional round, Joe. That is a big deal. We got the opportunity to jump on Twitter after the game. There was a lot of Cal Shanahan's that had clearly happened during the game in that uh, Twitter live that we did, but we really dove into the last game. So if you want to, if you want to talk really deep into the the Browns wild card matchup, I encourage you to go to Twitter and check out the live that we did. Obviously, we're going to hit it here, but we're going to talk some league wide NFL playoffs, some of the storylines from the NFL. Joe, I feel like we still have to slowly catch the world up with uh, who the hell we are. Over the last six months, I have a question for you. Was there anybody super famous in the quarantine that you got the chance to interact with? Huh. I barely interacted with my children during this quarantine, <laughs> Hawk, and I know that you did not leave your garage. So I'm guessing the answer for both of us is no. But no, since you that's... teed me up, I know that you've got a good answer. Exactly. All right. So I've been on. So first off, I did a, I did a whole TV show in the quarantine called Dodgeball Thunderdome. It was the most buffoonery that you have ever seen packed into a 30-to-hour-minute episode, along with a guy named David Dobrik. Joe, do you have any idea who David Dobrik is? No, he sounds like our good friend Dave Damashek, but uh, I'm assuming yeah. they're different people. They are completely different people. Take Dave Damashek and multiply his fame by, at the very least, what would you say, Nat, um, 50? Probably 50. To 100? Yeah, maybe 100. He is a guy that I didn't realize was the most famous person that I knew until after I got done knowing him. So we hosted a show together. He has, I think, 80 million followers across platforms. Yes. <laughs> he is like a YouTube okay. sensation. Can't walk down the street without people yelling at his name. Wow. He's literally one of the pioneering like personalities of YouTube that has turned it into what it is today for people to make money that way. He was doing it very, very early on and turned it into like an incredibly huge business like so many people working for him constantly so many people around like it's very much if you watch the videos you think oh this is just a a young guy doing youtube no it is a literal millions and millions dollars of of business man so it's yeah i can't even explain it he's just congratulations 
Yeah. You've done no, something I... that apparently is amazing, <laughs> and I'm unimpressed completely. All right. So, uh, Joe, you didn't meet anybody famous in the quarantine. Nat, did you meet anybody famous? I feel like you've been interacting with a lot of people famous. Um, No, I don't think I would say you guys are probably the most famous people I interacted that's, with. That's the answer we were looking for. That is the correct answer. So that's probably you guys are the most famous. All right. Well, that does it. I think that's settled. Everyone knows how famous uh, we are. Uh, all right. So we got to. Let's get into this episode a little bit. What are we talking about first? I think that one of the more interesting things that's come out this week is Deshaun Watson publicly has kind of said that he's very disappointed with the direction that the Houston Texans are headed. Specifically, he was a little bit upset how they have not publicly gone out and interviewed Eric Bieniemy, who's one of the preeminent candidates to be head coach. He's the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. Um, and there's been some speculation. I don't know if it's been out of Deshaun Watson's mouth or not, maybe just his camp, that he would like to be traded to the Dolphins to play for Brian Flores and that great defense that they have, and that somehow they're going to be able to work out a trade for Tua. And there was actually a report today that came out, I think, in one of the Miami newspapers. They interviewed a few Dolphins players, and those Dolphins players were basically quoted, uh, maybe confidentially, as saying, hey, we're not sure this organization believes in Tua anymore. Not that they think he's going to be garbage, but they're not sure he's going to be an elite-level quarterback like they thought when they drafted him based on what they've seen from this season. So I'll tee you up, and I'm going to ask you, do you think the Dolphins keep Tua, or are they going to be able to find a way to make a blockbuster trade to land Deshaun Watson? I don't know. I, I think the Dolphins do keep Tua. I don't think they'll land Deshaun Watson. I mean, and we've seen Andre Johnson arguably – probably not even arguably, the greatest former Texans player kind of go to bat for Deshaun Watson and standing his ground and being like, yo, don't let them waste your career. So you can't imagine that that helps Deshaun's, uh, you know, Watson's likelihood of just being like, yeah, it's all good. I've, I've gotten over it. Um, but, I mean, I feel like the Texans would be so dumb to get him out of the door. Like, what is the point? If you have a quarterback, like what, what you have the one of the best quarterbacks in the league you're not, you know, for what you're getting, even from Tua, there's such a question mark. And there's so there's two sides to it because, A, like, Texans, what are you doing? This is a guy that you're going to need happy for 10 years. Why won't you bring him a part of this process? It doesn't make sense. Every other team that has a quarterback in the situation that Deshaun is in, they would bring the quarterback a part of that process. As a matter of fact, we've seen where quarterbacks have actually picked the head coach and the guy that they wanted to lead them because the organization believed and understood how important it is for your quarterback to be happy. The second thing is on the Tua side, I, I don't know, man. It's always rubbed me the wrong way throughout the year of the sentiment that he's not the guy, right? And, and I know we have a small sample size, and, you know, if you're comparing him to what Justin Herbert did on day one, then, yeah, you know, it's not going to look good for him. But I also think back to – um Lamar Jackson's first six games in the league and that first run and, and it was like oh he's not the guy and you know well Ravens are not sure the people he can't do this and he can't do that and, and fast forward how stupid does that look and sound now yeah but let me stop you there when we we saw Lamar Jackson at first there were things that popped he may not have been winning a lot of games he didn't look polished but there was some times when you went oh wow that makes sense. I can see the future when I look at this guy, that if he's able to clean up some of the issues that he's got, if he's able to understand, you know, when to run, when to throw, where to throw a little bit better, if he just improves a little bit, he's got this talent that is elite and it's better than anybody else that's playing this position that in the NFL. Lie, and with Tua, 
we haven't seen anything but checkdowns. And they never here's the, here's the thing that I think the Dolphins have done this to themselves a little bit is that they never gave two an opportunity to face adversity and to grow through it. They were the yep. helicopter parents at soccer practice that every time the kid gets in the corner, they quick pull him out of the game and they don't let him work his way out of it. And I think in the process, they kind of destroyed his confidence a little bit in himself because in college, he was the man, right? And I think he knew he was the man because he was the, the tank for Tua. He was leading the best team in college football and his ability to go out there and perform, even if he had a little bit of adversity, was not questioned in his own head. Now he goes out there. Every time he plays the game, he seems like he's so afraid of throwing an interception. All he does is take checkdowns. As soon as they got behind, what did they do? They put Fitzpatrick in the game. And the, the very few times where he had to play the whole game, he didn't do a very good job. And so I think what the Dolphins did is they put themselves into a little bit of a corner right now with Tua, and they damaged him a little bit right now, and they've led – this speculation to bubble up this offseason about, hey, we don't even know if Tua can be the guy anymore, and that's seemingly the sentiment within the organization with the players and maybe even some of the front office people. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Well, I think you lied a little bit, oh, but I don't you. think you're you're wrong. And the, Tell the me where I lied. A, a podcast is that we can, we can easily lie. go back to the, the point of Lamar Jackson after his first year and hear your comments on Lamar Jackson. And there was never any talk about him having elite potential. Yes, he was I, I saw him. I saw him yes, running in pregame warmups and he beat everybody in the 10 yard sprint. Like when we <laughs> used to stand out there, we, you know, uh, during pregame warmups, the last thing you do is like a little like uh, build up sprint for 10 mm -hmm. yards. And then you do like 20 and then 30. And I remember the offensive line used to stand next to the quarterbacks. And because at the time, Robert Griffin was the one quarterback and I was the one left tackle, I had to stand next to him. And if you guys have been living under a rock, drink, you don't know, but RG3 was like an elite Olympic level hurdler in the short yeah. distance. And so he would smoke my ass. And so what I did was I watched Lamar Jackson in that 10 yard sprint and I knew he was fast. And so I knew he was going to be a great quarterback. Yeah, that, because not, nothing says great quarterback like a 10-yard like just being sprint. really fast at a 10-yard sprint. <laughs> yeah, like that, that was my same scouting report when I came to the league. Um, okay, but if, even if you tell me that Lamar Jackson is a bad example because of the elite there, I remember watching Baker in practices early on um, in his career before he was a starter. And I remember a lot of people seeing him in practice, and they had some similar questions that, oh, he's not grasping it this way or whatever. Some people were just going to mature into it. And, and this will segue into the next conversation we have because I think Josh Allen was the same kind of way. Like, yes, he had flashes of ability, but no one said, like, oh, man, this guy is going to be an MVP candidate in three years. Nobody said that coming into this season. And I don't, I don't think what you've seen out of Tua, Tua hasn't been – terrible what i'm saying is that with tua he had elite level coaching in college at alabama you mentioned josh allen he was a rough product coming out of wyoming because his receivers dropped all sorts of passes he didn't have great coaching he didn't have great competition so we knew it was going to take him some time tua should be much more of a finished product because he went to alabama but this is something that happens a lot in pro football there's a lot of guys that look really good at alabama because they got a bunch of pro athletes that are around them and they're playing a bunch of dudes from toledo sorry buddy Hey, okay. And they look really good. And everybody as a team looks and has this synergy and looks better than maybe they are individually when you remove the greatness of the Alabama machine that is built around them. All right. So we talked about Josh Allen and, and you know, they he played an incredible game in wildcard weekend, um, which begs my question. Was there anything from wildcard weekend outside of the Brown Steelers game that really stuck out to you? Not just in this game, but overall through the round. 
Uh, I, I was surprised with how poorly Russell Wilson played. Um, yeah. I really thought Russell Wilson has always been the guy that plays his best games in the biggest moments. And he slid a little bit towards the end of the season. And there was a lot of excuses about, well, may, you know, his running backs were injured and the running game wasn't exactly getting back on track. And the defense, you know, they had some injuries. Jamal Adams was out. They weren't playing great. But they started playing better at the end of the season. The running game started picking up. And so I really thought that they were going to get on one of these Seattle Seahawks-type runs in the playoffs. And they went out and just laid an absolute clunker uh, against the Rams. But anyways, All what right. was your biggest surprise from wildcard weekend? Biggest surprise uh, probably was outside of the Browns game. Well, that uh, wasn't a surprise. I knew they were going to. Yeah, that wasn't a surprise at all. I mean, I guess the, for the rest of yeah. the world. For, for uh, shock the rest of the world, of course, not yeah. the Tomahawk Absolutely. show here. The Tomahawk knew what was happening. We knew. We've, we've known this for years. Um, of course. So, yeah. So the, the biggest surprise, I guess, would be Lamar Jackson, man. I, I think. Which isn't a surprise, right? Because he's a good quarterback. But he hadn't done it in the playoffs. Like everybody said, it done. the playoffs and, were his kryptonite. And he went down 10 points. And typically when the Ravens go down 10 yep. points, they don't win. That's his thing. He can't climb out of a hole. He can't. This team couldn't do it. And he did that. He did it in a big way. And he did it in the most Lamar Jackson way of him, like, you know, just being who he is. And, and, and I think even what he does on the field, it's indicative of how he is off the field. Like when you watch him in his interviews, like he really is. You sent this text message. You're, you said you were having a really hard time not loving Lamar Jackson. So here's why I said that. And you're getting a little peek behind the curtain of Tomahawk Show. As I was uh, driving home from pheasant hunting with my dad and my brother-in-law this morning, I voice texted uh, a few things that I had that I wanted to talk about on the show today. And uh, lo and behold, every single thing that I said became the rundown. So we're talking about Lamar Jackson <laughs> and why I'm having a hard time not loving him. The reason I said that is because we're Browns fans. I yes. played for the Browns for 11 years exclusively. You finished your Hall of Fame career being inducted yes. into the Ring of Honor with the Patriots. So yep. there's a little bit of a, a you know a tear in your where you bleed between maybe Cincinnati, Cleveland, and New England. But as a I Browns mean. man now, as a full-on fan, and that's all I am of the Browns, to love a Ravens quarterback just feels wrong, right? It is. But <laughs> – there's nothing to not like about this dude. Like, from how he handles himself, how much his teammates love him, how he brings the energy consistently, how he's committed to his craft, how he's been committed to understanding what his weaknesses are and what he needs to do to make them better. And then when you just turn on the TV, like, my son Jack, who's four years old, he can sit down next to me, and he loves watching Lamar Jackson because the stuff he does is superhuman, and we love watching people do superhuman things. That's why they have a Guinness Book of World Records. But the reason I said that is because I was listening to some talk show this morning and they had a clip of Lamar Jackson in his Zoom post-game meeting. And one of the reporter's names was Mike Jones. <laughs> and the, the PR person for the Ravens says, all right, our next question comes from Mike Jones. And you see Lamar like trying to hold it together. And he's like, try not to laugh. And then his like lips start quivering. <laughs> and then as this poor guy named Mike Jones, who I'm sure he was named Mike Jones before that song was cool. Uh, this poor guy, all of a sudden, Lamar just bursts out laughing. He's like, what? <laughs> and, and I was just cracking up. And I just thought it was so great because he did his best to try to stay professional. But the man just has a big, fun-loving heart. And he couldn't hold himself back anymore. And he laughed. And everybody in the room loved it. And that was why I texted you that. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly what I was thinking, too. Like, when you Who? see the clip. Yeah, it's like he was doing his best, man. And he wasn't trying to, you know, it was like 
you know, you we ever been in a room with somebody you're not allowed to laugh, and it yes. makes it that much more funny. You're trying yes, to hold the laugh exactly across the room. Was. It was like one of those moments, man. He really is that kind of personality, and you're right. We we're not allowed to, as a Browns fan yeah. and the Browns guy you are, you're not allowed to love a Ravens quarterback, but. I mean, as a fan, it's if, if you say like I don't like Lamar Jackson as a That's as a person, impossible. based on what you see now, like I'm I'm questioning you as a person. You can hate him <laughs> as a as a Ravens quarterback. That's mm-hmm. understandable completely. You want him to throw 50 interceptions yeah. a game? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But as a person of what you've seen, if you say you right. don't like the dude, you love that guy. you're an asshole. Let right. me diagnose you right now. Yeah. Get go get a prescription because <laughs> you're an ass. Yeah. Um, so here's a question for you: Are you surprised that I know who Mike Jones is? No, no. Being the, the big hip-hop fan that I am. No, that was our college days. That like, was. That totally was college. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I heard that song <laughs> when we were in the weight room. It's actually pretty catchy and pretty funny. Because uh, I think John John Harbaugh said afterwards, I need to see who, I need to know who this Mike Jones guy is. And I don't remember, was he talking about like Mike Jones or the reporter? Yeah, I think he was talking about Mike Jones because like, <laughs> unless you're a big fan of hip-hop or you're Hawk, mine, and that's ages. Like, you probably don't know who Mike Jones is because right. he wasn't mainstream, like, what's I'm going to date myself, like Tupac or Biggie or, you know, yeah. he was, it was kind of like the start of the, the and I'm, I have no idea what I'm talking about, but like, the, like the slow hip hop beats from that came out of Houston, which is like a very distinct style. And he was really Joe. huge. Joe. I, yeah, this is hip hop awesome. historian. Yeah, right. Hip hop, yeah. I did take an Afro-American music class when I was in college. <laughs> that was fantastic. But we didn't talk about Mike Jones because he was just getting onto the stage. But he was he was great stuff. And we used to listen to it in the locker room and it appealed a little bit more to me because it was slow. Cause I like the relaxing, like laid back, have yeah. a beer or whatever and uh, enjoy some music. So, well, that was Mike Jones, and that's why I love Lamar Jackson even more. Chopped and screwed. He was kind of a one-hit wonder, if you think about it. Like, that's the yeah. thing. But the song was so catchy. It's like, Mike who? Mike Jones. 281-330-8004. That's what I was going to ask. Do you guys remember the <laughs> phone number? <laughs> I, I forgot the phone number. I remember there was a phone number in there, but I was going Roxanne or whatever. It was like... <laughs> Six seven five three zero nine. Beautiful. Chop right. and screw. Slow it down. Like like Nat slows down with her um, you know her happy lease. All right. So <laughs> let's look forward to the divisional round. Okay. Now I think it's a good opportunity. Um, so we got actually before we go divisional round because we're going to talk Browns as well. Let's talk coaching candidates. There's vacancies out there. I want you to rank the vacancies, Joe. So we got the Jets, the Jags, the Chargers. The Falcons, the Lions, the Texans, and Philly recently fired Doug Peterson, which if you have thoughts there, it'd be great to hear those too. Boy, I think the Chargers has got to be up there. I think it's probably my number one because of the quarterback situation. I think Uh when you have a young stud quarterback like Justin Herbert, who has proven already in his first season in the NFL that he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for a long time, to have a, a rookie quarterback that's already proven himself that's on the rookie contract, so you basically get him for free for another four years, yep. uh, is so valuable to building a team and to building a roster around him for success uh, that I think that's got to be my number one job, especially because if you look on defense, they've got Joey Bosa, and they've got a, a bunch of other good names on defense that are young, that are talented. And I think this is a, a big reason why Anthony Lynn got fired is because you look at that roster and you go, man, 
they should have got a lot more out of this roster than they did because right. they got talent at all the key positions. They're a, a little bit like kind of who the Browns are, right? Talented quarterback. They got a great pass rusher. They got some good secondary pieces. Um, they've got a good receiver on the outside or two good receivers. And for some reason, the Browns are 12 and five right now. And the chargers are looking for a new head coach. So I think that's my number one. What about you? Uh, I like that. So what we'll do is we'll do it together. So I'll go number two. Now my number two, I'm going to go with Jacksonville just because oh. they have the ability to go get the number one quarterback available, um, which is likely Trevor Lawrence, right? So I would say for the same reasons you like the Chargers, I would give the Chargers the edge like you would because they're in L.A. and the market in Jacksonville just isn't as, you know, coveted. But, yeah, I would say Jacksonville would be my number two open vacancy. So now you're up with number three. Well, I'll just say really quickly about Jacksonville, too. I actually like the ownership group there. I like the yep. fact that it's a smaller market uh, because small markets in the NFL typically have the most passionate fan bases because I grew up in Wisconsin and Green Bay. I love Green Bay. Not as yep. much to do as there is in maybe an L.A., right? In L.A., yep. like you guys know, you both live in L.A. or in, in the California area. Like, if your football team or your basketball team or whoever is not playing well, you just stop paying attention. You go do something else pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, you go to the beach. Um, if you're in Green Bay, Jacksonville, Kansas City, Cleveland, like that's your life. And so your team's doing bad. What do you do? You just bitch about your team being bad and you still show up and you just get more passionate about firing the coach and this and that. So I think being in Jacksonville isn't necessarily a negative. I know some players might see it because like they want to build their brand, which is something that Juju Smith-Schuster just came out and said, I want to go to a bigger market than Pittsburgh so I can build my brand, AKA make more money with TikTok and YouTube and Instagram and blah, blah, blah. But in yeah. Jacksonville, I think Shad Khan's been a patient owner. He's got a ton of money. They, and I think he can build something good in Jacksonville. So my third favorite opening, yeah. um, I would say everything else is kind of like equal at that point. And I'll just run down quickly why I think that, because the Falcons have big salary cap problems. No, 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 don't Ryan, do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Nope. That's not the game. You pick the next open vacancy, Joe. You don't just do a sweep of all the next available coaching I just wanted coaching to steal vacancy. all your takes right <laughs> yeah, there. Just, that's my, that's my uh, biggest I'm going to say Texans. All right. Texans is I, my next. I'm going to give somebody – I'm going to give everyone a peek behind the, the TV curtain really quick. It is the worst thing when you're on a TV show and <laughs> some, somebody asks, um, who is the top quarterback going into this draft? So-and-so. And the person who speaks before you rips through the seven reasons why the seven available quarterbacks aren't it. And then, but the things that are also good about them, but why he's ultimately going with this guy. And then it gets to you, and it was like, yo, you just talked about every damn quarterback. What am I supposed to say? He just that's why I'm spiked the football on your face and then was like, right. what do you think, buddy? No, that actually happened to me one time. It was like one of my very first uh, Thursday night football games, and we were having Philip Rivers on in post game because he just let his team back. They won. This was when I think they were even still in San Diego. Um, so, we're sitting there, and I'm writing my notes, and we're kind of talking, me, Steve Smith, Michael Irvin, we're talking, hey, what should we ask him when we have him on the post game? Because just another peek behind the curtain, all these shows, they're, they're planned. You have meetings, you have you talk about the topics, but in post game, you don't know what you're going to talk about until they basically, the game's over, and you got about three minutes before the guy gets on set, so you're trying to huddle and figure out, all right, how's this three-minute segment going to work? Well, we're all talking, and I was like, uh, this is what I'm going to ask Philip Rivers, boom, 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 everyone's like, yeah, okay, we got it. So we go, the producer says in my ear, okay, Joe, you're next, which is my cue that as soon as whoever's talking is going to shut up, 
And it's my turn to ask Philip Rivers a question because otherwise you're just going to have people talking over each other like it's a Zoom meeting. And before I could say anything, Michael Irvin jumps in and he fucking steals my question from Philip <laughs> Rivers. And I'm like, I look at him like, I swear to God, if this wasn't live on air, I would pummel your old ass right here. And then, of course, the producer's like, Joe, next. He says it again. Well, now I'm like pissed off at Mike. And so I can't think of another question, especially because he just stole the only question that I was going to be able to ask. So I just sit there and then there's radio silence and I'm looking at Philip and I just start bumbling over my words. And I'm like, oh, how do you feel about winning the game? And Philip looks at me like, that's the best you could do. <laughs> oh, so that's just what I was trying to do with Hawk. But he's a professional now. We're a couple media veterans and we won't let that happen. So for me, the Texans is the next best job. Why? Because they have Deshaun Watson. When you have a young generational talent like Deshaun Watson and an ability, if you want, to be able to deal them, potentially, you can deal that player to the Dolphins. You can get maybe a Tua and another first-round pick or a couple in return. You've got a lot of weapons and resources to be able to continue to build for the future. Go Hawk. My only concern with the Texans job is that Bill O'Brien – basically spent all the money and left. Like he put them in a very bad spot, like from draft capital and, and cap. And this is a, always why it's important, no matter who holds the reins of head coach, general manager, player picker, there's got to be somebody that is in the ownership group that oversees everybody that makes sure and says, whoa, 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 whoa. we can't do that because I know I'm going to be here in four, five, six years and you as a coach and a general manager, you're going to make that Hail Mary pass right now because you know your game is over pretty soon if you lose this season. And you're not saving salary cap space, draft pick, or even players for the next guy. I completely agree, man. So, yeah, that's my that's my concern on the Texans. I will also say I have a story similar to your Michael Irvin as a player. When we were playing, I can't remember what team it was. It was 2015, though. This is the maddest I've ever been in a game. And huh. we had a play call. That was, to me, it was a third down. It was like Arches, I believe, was the name of the, the play call, or quick seam, depending on what, you know, offensive coordinator you're playing. Basically, set up the guy on man-to-man coverage, run a slant on him, you know, quick eight-yard pass play. I, I do it in my sleep. We break the huddle. It's a pivotal part of the game, pivotal part of the field. Uh, I go to line up, and Brian Hartline lines up in my position. Oh, so I'm like, bro, what are you doing? The clock is winding down. So now I'm like, shit. So I just run out to his position. He notices how pissed I am because I am livid. I am like, yo, oh, um, I can't believe They called the play for me. They, it, yeah, but I, and I don't know. Like, But in his face, I can kind of see like he just made a mistake. He wasn't sure. But yeah. you never know. Right? So I'm pissed. It doesn't matter. So then he's like, here, fine, take it. And he runs out to where I'm at. So now oh. the clock is dwindling even more. So now I got to go back into the position. We have like three seconds left. I'm like, yo, what you, just get, no, stay. What? The ball snapped. I run the route. Boom. Get it. Get hit. And I drop it. Oh. So now I dropped it. And you know, you know me, Joe. On grave day, I was a, I was a freakazoid a about man. this. Oh, my gosh, bro. We got this in the locker room. Shorts. I was trying to fight Brian Hartline, who is my man. Uh, he's he's uh, he's a receiver coach for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And he is the man. But I was so mad at him. I don't know if I've ever been that mad at a player, even of, of an opposing team, right? And it was such a – it was an honest mistake moment because our offense yeah. that year was, like, impossible to know. It was, like – it was terrible. It was like you had to memorize every little thing, where you were, what the play was. There was no continuity. The play calls didn't flow. So it wasn't his fault, but I was just so pissed. 
at that. So it was very similar to your Michael Irvin story. That was pretty good. All right. I think instead of saying what are the next best jobs, let's go with what are the jobs now that you would want the least. And I'll let you go first. Yeah. What's the worst job that's available right now? Oh, shoot. I would probably go with the Jets, to be honest. Um, or actually, no. Let me scratch that. I'd go with Philly. Philly would be a tough job because you don't – from the reports, and I'm not in there, but the reports are – you don't know where the power lies, right? And even the Peterson situation was unique. This is a guy who just won a Super Bowl within the last three years. Like, I, that job to me is tough just because the power that that, that be in, in the organization are very muggy. Uh, I'm going to go – the job that I would not want is the Falcons, and I know that they've got a lot of talent, but there's a lot of question marks about what they're going to do this offseason with the shrinking salary cap. There, there's a lot of question marks about – what they're going to do at the quarterback position, and they don't have a lot of good answers. And on top of that, they've just not been a very good team. They don't have a very good defense. And I think it has the potential to be a long-term rebuild with not a lot of resources to be able to do that rebuild. When I say resources, I mean draft picks and salary cap space. I got a question for you. So besides the, who is the guy or couple of coaches that, have you, that you've had direct interaction and coaching and in your career with that you hope land a coaching spot this year that you think deserve to be calling um, the shots for a team? Uh, I like Brian Dayball to the Chargers. Um, he was my offensive coordinator my third and fourth seasons in Cleveland. He was one of the guys that I really stood on the table for this past offseason for the Browns to hire because I thought he would have been a great option for Baker Mayfield and for a lot of the reasons why he's been so good for Josh Allen, right? We've seen Josh Allen's maturity. We've seen his progress as a player, uh, technique, decision-making, and we've seen his offense, how good it can be when you have all the weapons that the Buffalo Bills have. And so I think you take him, you put him with Josh, uh, um, Justin Herbert, and the weapons that they have on the Chargers' offense, I think that's a great fit, and I think that's a job that just makes sense on all for all angles. I like that. I like that. I, I have two that I don't know if I want to place them when or where, but I think they could make sense. I think Marv Lewis should get another job, and he's, he's I think he's interviewed for like three or four places. You know, I mean, for some of these organizations that are in kind of that's a, you hoping to get like a, a coaching gig or like a scouting no, gig. Hey, no, no, Marv. No. I, I told I, I said that you should no. get a job on the Tomahawk show and you know how many million people listen and it, no. we made it happen. No, no, this is the honest to God truth. I've I've gotten offered at least seven teams to coach in the NFL, and four front offices have offered me jobs over well, the last a lot of custodial years. positions available in the NFL. A lot of them because because someone has to make those copies, Joe. And they're like, <laughs> we've heard you're an expert intern. Um, so no, I, I, I do not want to go co coach for Marv. I love him like family, but no, uh, I can see Marv Lewis. But the other one, the dark horse, I think is Pep Hamilton. I think Pep Hamilton, yeah. um, guy both of I us played he, for guy, he both of us played for. Coordinator for a year in Cleveland. Yep. Has some head coaching experience in XFL. Um, he's coached to college in Michigan with the Harbaugh's. Obviously he's a quarterback coach at, uh, with the chargers now. And you've seen what Justin Herbert is able to do. And I think when you kind of, put those things together. I, I think he's a guy that should be getting head coaching looks. And Where do you think he should end up? I could see him in Atlanta. I could see him in Houston. I could see him with the, the, the Lions, the Jets. Honestly, any of them. It's not really a specific place. Like I said, okay. the Jets would – I mean, the Jets' job in general is just tough, especially being yeah. in the New York market. you got to be yeah. 
you got to be. But they're going to have a lot of time. They're they're going to have a lot of time because of how bad they've been and because mm-hmm. they've been tanking and they've been getting rid of players and draft picks. So you're going to have a lot of patience, which is the one good thing about that Jets job. And we still really don't know how good Sam Donald's going to be. Like he's yeah. shown some flashes of good, some flashes of bad, and maybe a new coach with some new ideas and kind of a fresh start could be good for him. All right, here's my question to you. Urban Meyer's reportedly been offered the Jaguars job and he's considering it. Do you think, A, it's a good decision for Urban Meyer to take the job? And B, do you think it's a good decision for the Jaguars to reach into college football and bring out one of the greats of all time? I think it's a good decision for Urban Meyer. I think he's obviously proven everything he needs to prove on the college level, right? And it's like I, he's won national championships at two big-time programs. I don't know if I care to see him at another college program and win. Like, it's not going to be like, man, that guy really – like, we already know he's a great coach. And he'll um, never beat Nick Saban. Like, he's not going to yes. go for eight national titles. Like, exactly. It's almost better in college to see it just in one spot than to yeah. bounce around to a bunch of different schools and show that. So I think it's a good move for him because it, it, it really could cement his coaching legacy. I just don't know if his philosophy is going to work in the NFL. And I say that having never played for Urban Meyer, but I just know he's not going to be dealing with impressionable 19-year-olds in my way or the highway. And, you know, he's a stern coach. I know that about him. Uh, and I just don't know how that's going to bode in the in the league, man. When you know there's a lot of personality there, and guys, they I, mean, I don't want to say they don't take too kindly to that, but there's only a couple coaches that could pull that off. Um, and it's it's a matter of are the Jaguars going to give him enough power to kind of set that precedent, which they very very well may be, you know. So I think Urban Meyer is a terrific coach. There's no doubt about it. Um, he's proven a, a couple stops. And Utah, I mean, I don't know if you consider the Utah gig a national yeah. championship, but he went undefeated. So he's got yeah. national championships at three spots. Yeah, Florida, Utah, and Ohio State. They won a um, BCS Bowl there. I, I think about, like, in college, what makes you a great head coach? What's the number one thing that comes to mind? This is a question. Not um, rhetorical. Recruiting. Thank you, right? Yeah. Like. Nick Saban is the greatest college coach of all time because he put together great coaching, like NFL-level coaching, with the best recruiting we've ever seen. And when you're able to do that, then you become the greatest of all time, and you win seven national championships or whatever he's got. But if you take the recruiting out, like which you can't do at the NFL level because of the salary cap and because um, it's not college football – Like, where does that leave you as a coach? And so if I think Urban Meyer was a terrific recruiter and he was a great developer of men because, like you said, he was stern and he put together a great staff around him, but that doesn't always necessarily work or carry over to the NFL level. I think of NFL coaches that have great success. The number one reason they have great success is because they're really, really good schematically with X's and O's, and they're good with building a process of teaching those players X's and O's and getting them to practice really hard and focus on the details throughout the week and then on Sundays. And I don't know if necessarily what Urban Meyer has done in the college game is definitely an indication of that that I just talked about what makes you successful at the NFL level will definitely carry over. It might, I'm not saying it won't carry over, but I think it's difficult to say because he was a excellent recruiter in college and he was excellent with discipline and structure once they got there and he put a great staff around those guys that that necessarily is a group of characteristics that carries over to the NFL level. Um, But to run an entire room of grown men, I can't reiterate enough 
Like, you have to know how these guys think at the pro level. You have to have, you know, be at practice for a long time. And I, I think he could be successful. I do think he'll be able to get coaches. But, yeah, that is a, that is a red flag, to your point. So here, here's um, an opportunity to make somebody drink. Kyle Shanahan. Okay. Uh, both, both you and I, he was our favorite offensive coordinator. And I felt like he was the most motivating coach I ever had at the, at the NFL level. And it wasn't because he was an asshole that yelled at you all the time or he made you run lines after practice. As a matter of fact, he kind of thought that stuff was stupid. But what he did is he empowered you with knowledge to make you feel like he has given me a superior game plan and he has detailed yeah. exactly what I need to do and what the other 10 guys need to do on every single play. And I don't want to let him down. And then as game day crept into your horizon, he would pump your up. He would pump you up. He would pump your tires with how great you are and how great of a week of practice you had and how you're going to smash your opponent. And I think that's the way you motivate guys at the NFL level. And it remains to be seen if Urban Meyer can do something similar to that because we've seen a lot of guys come from college, Nick Saban included, that tried to bring the, I'm just going to be tougher and be a bigger dick and make you do what I want you to do. And that yep. doesn't usually work at the NFL level. No, it rarely works. To be honest. But for Urban Meyer's sake, I would say there's there's two considerations. One, he's going to get paid a lot of money, so that's probably yes. not a bad thing. So you know, you're going to get 60, 70 million bucks guaranteed. That's got to be a big, big factor. You could care decision. less if they win. Yeah, but I would say one thing that maybe he does or doesn't care about, I'm not exactly sure, but like he's starting to get this, in my opinion, a legacy that's tarnished a bit by the fact that he goes somewhere, has great success, but then he steps away and he claims it's health related or it's family related only to go resurface somewhere else. And being one of the greatest coaches of all time, how many times can you do that and burn a fan base by leaving under false premises to go somewhere else and make a bunch of money before your overall brand and your, the memory of who you were as a coach gets tarnished. So I got to think that that's going to be in his mind a little bit. The reality is for his legacy, this could be bad, right? Like Saban, if he would have stopped oh, coaching yeah, exactly. after Miami, I mean, obviously he, he wouldn't have had the resume that he had, but we wouldn't think of him the same way. To be doing this on the back end of your coaching career, it's risky. And he might not give us a damn. The 70 million, it's like, what do I care about a reputation? Is it worth 70 million? If not, I'll take the cash. Um, but people will think of him a different way. If he goes on that level, they will point to, to your, what your point is. You were at the places where you had the best recruiting because it's not the X's and the O's in college. It's the mm -hmm. Jimmy's and the Joe's. You have five-star recruits across the board. You have a really good chance of winning. It's it, very simple. It, it reminds me of the old saying about um, if you're an idiot, it's best to keep your mouth shut and let people wonder than to open your mouth and to and confirm remove it. Remove all doubt. Yep. <laughs> and remove all doubt. Um, enough talk about stuff that we don't care about. All right. Quickly, for, for, yeah. for time's sake, and to give I'll people a peek it. behind the curtain, this is part two of us uh, recording this podcast because earlier the internet went out in my neighborhood in Los Angeles for four hours. And so we're actually jumping back onto the pod. We've actually technically done two podcasts in one day. So yeah. fans, please don't expect another podcast for at least three years because you know how we get down. Yeah. Joe, you have something to say. Here's, here's a peek further behind the curtain and actually behind the bushes. Um, I am nursing a calf injury right now. So the fact what? that I was able to uh, come back for a second show in the same day is amazing. I was in the Florida Keys last week with my family, a little planned family vacation. And um, we got back to our 
<laughs> oh, this is embarrassing. We got back to our house after the night, and I swear I was not drunk, but I was going to plug in the little golf cart that they gave us to drive around the, like, the little golf cart community, and it was pitch black. And so I turned the golf cart off, and the lights went off, and I reached down to grab like the plug-in for the battery in the golf cart, and I stood up, and they had this like one-foot-high little mini like bamboo fence that was separating the gravel from the mulch patch. And I, of course, didn't see it because it was dark. And so when I spun around, I got my feet, like both my heels caught up against that fence where there was nowhere to go, but my weight was going backwards. And so I fell unceremoniously into the bushes and I uh, scraped my calf in such a bad manner that the rest of the week I had to wear pants because otherwise everyone was like, my God, what happened to your calf? <laughs> so I feel like I should get a Medal of Honor for being able to do two pods in one day with a terrible, debilitating calf injury. Oh, man. It sucks to be not an athletic professional lineman anymore. <laughs> hey, what do you what do you do on vacation in these times? Is it you guys just go there, sit in the house, and go to the beach by yourself? Like, Pretty what, much. What is there to do? Like, you go to the pool, you socially distant, like – Getting there, you got the mask on, the whole deal. Yeah. Um, just stay away from people. But, like, you wouldn't understand because you live in L.A. right now and you've forgotten what it's like living in the cold. I have no idea. You've got to be able to get a little bit of sun and a little bit of warmth and some swimming at least, like, one time in a winter. Otherwise, yeah. uh, the quarantine depression gets, like, even deeper and darker than you can imagine. So, yeah, you don't, you definitely, like, don't see people. Um, I mean, you see them, but you don't, like, hang out with them. Um, right. But just getting some sun and fun is. I've been is trying beautiful. to plan a, a quarantine vacation because you're right, man. Yeah, it's been a tough it. year for everybody, and my kids have like been like locked in the house for an entire calendar year yeah. now. At this point, it sucks, and like this thing just sucks for everyone. And I'm like, man, how? And I've been trying to rack my brain around how I plan the safest version of something to get them out. Because, you know, like we're just we're locked down. I'm in this damn garage since the last time we were doing the show consistently <laughs> and I was in the garage. I have not left here like <laughs> 6 a.m. to midnight. Nice. I am in this thing, dude. It, it's people, wild. So people that are listening right now, if anybody's listening, is thinking, wow, he's got to be exaggerating. No, I'm serious. Hawk has no. not left his garage. His kids have not left the four square mile uh giant brick wall that he has around his castle that he lives right in downtown Beverly Hills <laughs> in at least nine months. And I feel so bad for him. Most of their butlers have already quit because yeah, they just they're, couldn't they're handle the crazy Hawkins family during the quarantine. <laughs> exactly, man. My kids, uh, yeah, they're going to think back like, were we being held hostage or was it really the <laughs> Our parents were just telling us there was this virus <laughs> yeah. out there just so that we didn't question it. Exactly. All right, so we got divisional round playoffs. Let's go through. I need you to pick who you think is going to win and why in a minute or less. All right, All right. here we go. First up, we got Rams versus Packers. Joe, who wins and why? Uh, I like the Packers in this one. Uh, Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers playing too good. Their defense actually playing better right now. They're ninth overall, and they are um, pretty good at eliminating Jared Goff, who's already mostly eliminated himself with the bum thumb. And the fact that uh, Aaron Donald's got a bunch of broken ribs, that to me is like the big equalizer because the Rams defense, number one in the NFL, uh, number one in the scoring defense, number one in passing defense, but that's because of the man they got in the middle, the bad, bad man, Aaron Donald. And we're not sure that he's going to be 100%. Uh, we're not even sure if he's going to play. And uh, he was the only guy that gave him a chance. 
Yeah, I got the Packers, too, for the same thing. I don't know about the quarterback. If he's not 100%, nah. If AD isn't 100%, now, now Aaron Donald at, at 85% is still the best mm-hmm. D tackle in the league. Um, so I will preface it by saying that. But I think, uh, you know, a not full healthy Aaron Donald and Aaron Rodgers on the other side who is clicking, that's a tough team to beat. So I, I like the Packers there. Um, all right, next up, we got the Ravens versus the Bills. I'll go first. I'm going with the Ravens. Um, I, I just liked what I seen out of them last week. And as good as Josh Allen and his team is, I do feel like the defense on the Ravens is the equalizer, right? Because the, the, the strength of the Bills is their pass game. Um, but on the Ravens side, they have a really, really good secondary. And if they're up for the task and Lamar is playing like Lamar has as he's come back from the COVID list and like has looked like the MVP version of himself, I think it's going to be too much for the Bills to handle now. Mm. It may snow, and any of my guys that I play with from Miami that played in the snow, <laughs> I have not had high hopes. So if it snows, you could throw this entire prediction away because I don't know. <laughs> I won't know what the hell Lamar is going to do in the snow. Dude, you know what's funny about dudes that have never seen snow? Like the first time they see it, it's like being a kid in Disneyland. And sometimes it has the reverse effect. Like me. At my age, I've seen so much snow that if you put me out there for a game, I'd, at this point, I'd probably be like, oh, man, this stinks. I'm cold. But like a dude that's like 21, 22, seeing it for the first time, they probably think it's Christmas morning. And they might actually gain a little bit of energy from that. But uh, no, I think this is the one you're wrong about because okay. um, I like what you had to say. But the Bills offense on third down is the best third down offense in the NFL. A large part of that is Josh Allen and his ability to get third downs with his legs or to scramble when things get tough. Um, and Also, they're really good at getting big plays on offense. And in the playoffs, converting third downs, being able to continue to move the ball, keep the ball in your possession is huge, uh, especially when you're playing a quarterback like Lamar Jackson. So I think they can shorten the game. They can make a couple big plays on offense down the field, and they can convert third downs when they have to. So that's why I like the Bills. All right. Well, we'll see who's right about that. We got the Bucks versus the Saints next. Joe, who you got Why? You know, I know um, NBC or whoever has got the Sunday night game when these guys play wants us to think that this is like the matchup of the century. But I'm kind of like bored with Brady and Breeze, to be totally honest. That's (laughs) old NFL football where they get these statues standing in the pocket throwing 10-yard passes. Uh, I tried to watch both these games in the wildcard round, uh, the Saints and the Bucks, and it it was kind of boring. I got to be totally honest. Um, I don't think Drew Brees is fully healthy after he broke 100 ribs, which I didn't even know old people had 100 ribs. But I guess <laughs> every year you you get older, it's like a tree ring. You grow another rib, and uh, Brees broke all of them. And so he just doesn't look totally right. He's not really pushing the ball down the field all that well. Their passing offense is just eh. And I do think since uh, the bye week, the Buccaneers really kind of found a good blend of Bruce Arians and Tom Brady on offense. They've been rolling pretty good. They're scoring a lot of points. And I think even though the Saints defense is really good, I think the Buccaneers are just a little bit hotter right now. Uh, and I think they get the win. Okay, so we can both look like idiots here because I like the Bucs too. Even though the nice. Saints, any Saints fan that's listening will say the Saints beat the shit out of the Bucs both times they played them. So why would you pick the Bucs? But to your point. That I'm, was I'm a, uh, November 8th. Uh, I'm a momentum guy. still 34 back in those days. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're right. That was the young version of Breeze and, and, and Tom. This is the old version. This is 2021. They're both 110 years old. It is crazy how so quickly 
I feel like collectively as an NFL, people just moved on from <laughs> Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. People, by and large, this year did not give a damn about those guys. Not in a bad way, because they all played pretty damn good football. Yeah. But it was just like, nah, nah. It's not give, nearly give me as Josh exciting. Allen, give yeah. me Lamar, give me Patrick, give me Baker, you know, give me Justin Herbert. Like, they weren't even being talked about on the daily radio, like the daily radio shows, the TV shows. People have just, like, moved on, which begs the question of how much longer are they going to play? Not even because they can't, because they're still some of the best quarterbacks in the league. But, you know, it's like those TV shows that they probably have too many seasons. And it's like, hey. Even though we're making money, we're getting viewership, we should probably just end this thing at some point because people just aren't caring as much as they used mm-hmm. to. All right. The moment everyone's been waiting for. I should just say Browns. The fucking Browns won the wild card playoff round. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we jumped on Twitter. We did a live. But let's dive a little deeper in here. We talked about the juju. We talked about the players, like, Give me your overall thoughts of the Browns and Steelers games before we kick it forward facing to the Kansas City Chiefs. I think my overall thoughts were it was pretty obvious from the beginning that the Steelers overlooked the Browns. They thought exactly the same way Juju did, that the Browns is still the Browns, the team that we've been whipping their ass for two decades. It's just going to happen again. We're just going to roll our helmets out there, and our Steelers helmets are going to beat the Browns helmets because that's what's been happening forever. 17 straight at Heinz Field. Um, and I think the the big takeaway for me was when you overlook an opponent, what happens is you lose sight of the details and you disrespect the game of football and the NFL game where the best team in the NFL and the worst team in the NFL have a very small difference in talent and a very small difference in execution and scheme. Yep. And you lose sight of that, and it's really easy to get your ass whooped. And even the best players in the game, if you overlooked a week of preparation and you take your opponent lightly, you go out and you lose sight of those little things that win you week in and week out those games. We saw at the very first play of the game, Marquise Pouncey, one of the best centers in the NFL, Ben Roethlisberger, Hall of Fame quarterback. What happens? Ball goes over Ben's head, goes into the end zone. Ben Roethlisberger, James Conner, both great players, looked at it and go, no, you got it. No, no, you know, you got it. Uh, I don't really feel like diving on it right now and getting hit. So I bet the other guy will do it. And what happens? The Browns pick it. Okay, thank you. They pick up that loaf of bread and score a touchdown. It was one thing after another. And then by the time the Steelers realized, whoa, these Browns are pretty good. Maybe the Browns is not the Browns anymore. It was too late. It was too late. It's, it was it was cool to see the football guys finally smile down on Cleveland. It's been a very long time. And even when we were really up big in that game, you couldn't help but feel like something was going to go wrong to make it kind of reset to, like, this would be the most Browns way to ever lose, man. But, it's I mean, the team is different top to bottom. The leadership, the the way that they've approached it, I can think back to Jarvis giving that speech in Hard Knocks a couple years ago when he first came. And if you look, they've added guys. They've, they've built off that mentality. They've added guys who also think that way. They've doubled down on the guys who have that mentality. And, you know, again, now they're a team heading to the divisional round, man, which is wild. And I don't know. Again, I think Juju Smith-Schuster is a really, really good receiver. And I know he's a free agent this year. And he had a great game on Sunday. And he had a great game. His best game of the season, statistically. Now they got down really big. And, of course, they had to throw the ball as much as they could. So the numbers were a little gaudy. But he played a great game individually. But, it, 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 I mean, 
the reality is it's not smart to disrespect or taunt an NFL well, team. Like, why give extra motivation? Here's why. Here's why you don't do that. Because even though Juju played a great game when he was out there, when you trash talk the opponent because of the team nature of the NFL game, you're putting additional pressure not on yourself but all of your teammates. And they may not have the same talent and ability to block out the noise and to be able to overcome that pressure that you do. It's yeah. not like a heavyweight fight. Why in boxing and UFC, you always hear the smack talk, right? Because I'm the only one that's got to back that up. In the NFL game, it may not give your opponent a lot of extra motivation, maybe a little bit, but it puts extra pressure on your own team. And there's a lot of guys in Pittsburgh right now who are immature. And a lot of guys, when you're immature, you can't handle the pressure and you can't handle those big moments. And that's, I think, what we saw on Sunday. Pressure matters. Momentum matters. Motivation matters. So people say, oh, that didn't matter. Like, yes, it does. Otherwise, there would be no such thing as momentum in a game. You feel that. People feed off of that energy. Those are energies that Momentum is energy. Yes. Like, that's it, a direct translation. Yes. And motivation is energy. And now you've energized an entire team who is pushing towards the goal of not only winning, but being able to, you know, jump around in the locker room and throw it in your face. And now they have an added benefit to the win it's like yo why do that and we've seen that we've seen Juju do that Juju do that a couple times against teams but I think he's a really good player I think you know the Steelers organization is one of the best in NFL history um so it was like why do that yeah I'll say Juju I think is great for the NFL I find him entertaining hilarious I loved when his bike got stolen and he like sent that tweet out about like somebody sent my bike back um, it was hilarious. I think he's great, but I think he also has to know like, when am I hurting the team with my actions? And I yeah. think what he said this week, I think he learned the hard way, uh, which leads me to another incredibly talented receiver who had a good game against the Browns, but who made some interesting comments after the game, Chase Claypool after the game, he did like some, uh, Facebook live or some type of live thing where he kind of broke down the game for, for his followers. And one of the things he said at the end is, um, you know what? We lost to the Browns. It was a bad loss, but they're going to get clapped by Kansas City, so it's all good anyway. What was your take on that? I mean, he's just a young a young player. I give him a little bit more of a leash because, you know, when you're young, it's like my kids, right? Like, they get in these situations where they're embarrassed or whatever, and they don't know how to express themselves. They don't <laughs> That's know, such a good way to put it. They don't know how to, you know, voice what they feel or mm-hmm. – you know, how not to say or be embarrassed about things that they shouldn't be embarrassed about. And I think for a guy like Chase, who can comes out of nowhere, just, yeah, he was a he was an early round pick, but he wasn't a first rounder. And he played a lot better than I think that anybody imagined. And, you know, they had this kind of mantra and then they lost to the Browns. Everyone's talking about it. He's trying to save face. Right. He doesn't quite get it. So I give him a little bit of a leash that yeah. way. He's a good player. You know, it's just silly. It's just unnecessary, man. And over time, we all become professionals. Yeah, I really have nothing else to add because those were amazing words from Andrew Hawkins. That might have been your best take of all time. Thank you, thank you. I've been really working yeah. so, on, my, on my take game. Yeah, that was really good. Um, all right, moving forward to this week's game against the Chiefs. Chiefs are 10-point favorites as of right now. Um, big time. That's a lot of points in an NFL game, especially a divisional round. So clearly the people in Vegas, the betters, they think the Chiefs are going to beat the Browns. Um, how do you see this game unfolding and then pivot from that? How can the Browns win this game? 
I don't know. I don't want to give too much because we didn't do it last time, and I felt like that was our, our sweet spot. Where at the beginning <laughs> of the week we thought we cursed the Tom, we, we thought the Tomahawk Show cursed. No, the no, it's the opposite. We when led every, him to victory. Yeah, when everybody got COVID, then they won, and it was like, yo, us being back is the best thing that ever happened to this <laughs> team. So I want to duplicate how I did yesterday, which is real high level. The All Browns right. have to run the football, right? Which is oh, go great take. You should be the coach of the Jaguars. You should, yeah. Yeah, you have to run the football because you got to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. And then also, the Chiefs' run defense is 31st in the league. The Browns' defense is now the lowest-ranking defense left in the playoffs going against the best quarterback on planet Earth. So as much as you can keep them off the field, you should, right? And that means a heavy dose of Kareem, a heavy dose of of Chubb, a heavy dose of this O-line doing what they did last week because it's, it's, it's even more favorable matchup this week and also stop running out of bounds guys like four <laughs> yeah, minutes like, to go out of bounds this week eat Let's the say, clock bro a, a memo <laughs> from me to kevin covid stefanski to <laughs> let everybody on that team know no going out of bounds this is illegal it's illegal man let's let's run some time off the clock but yeah so i think establishing a run is the most important thing and you know it's not just establishing it's literally throughout the game like, that should be your offense. You should try to bully them and eat clock um, because that's that's the way you do it. Yeah, let me add even to that. I, I think you're exactly right. Like, for the Browns to win this game, rushing the ball is so important. But the Chiefs are going to know that, right? But the Chiefs have the worst red zone defense in the NFL. They're terrible. And so when you get into the red zone, a lot of times people say you have to run the ball because your windows throwing the ball down the field get a lot smaller because, you know, you got the end zone and you got the boundaries there. So there's a lot less space for you to spread the defensive secondary out. So you have to rely on that running game. So running the football, especially when they get in the red zone, is going to be critical. When the Browns get into the red zone, scoring touchdowns instead of field goals is going to come down to if they win or lose, but it also is going to come down to how efficiently they can run the ball. Efficient running game means it's four yards, it's a first down, or it's a touchdown. Those are the things that if Browns fans are watching this game, they should really hone in on that uh, from a running game standpoint. Additionally, they want to win this game. They got to do like they did last week. No turnovers. They got to win that turnover battle because giving Patrick Mahomes additional possessions, that's the quickest way to shoot yourself in the foot and lose the game. Um, Also, I will say, if they're able to run the ball, what they need to do is become clock watchers in the second half. They need to snap the ball with two or one yeah. second on the shot clock the whole second half. And when it gets to the sec- uh, the, the uh, end of the fourth quarter, the Chiefs have kept a lot of games close. They're, they're not putting people away. And so what I do know is if Patrick Mahomes has his hand with uh, on the ball with less than anything more than 10 seconds, he's going to find a way to score and win. So yep. you can't allow that situation to happen. So they need to be clock watchers and find out exactly how many points they need once they get the ball towards the end of the fourth quarter. And they need to figure out how we can score those points without leaving Patrick Mahomes any time left to go down and uh, put the dagger in their heart. And I, I need Miles to to ball out this week. I need a huge week out of him because they, they put a lot of um, attention on him last week versus Pittsburgh. And, you know, you know, he, he took on a lot of attention, and Ben was smart to get the ball out as quick as he was. Mahomes isn't going to do that. Mahomes isn't going to get the ball out quick. He doesn't give a shit. He can make any throw, like, come and get me. Um, and Mahomes, he's a, he, he plays better when you blitz him, 
right? Because then he can get outside the pocket and he makes those momentum throws. Everyone and he gets one on ones down the field. He like if you're blitzing, down the usually field. That means you get one on one coverage. That's and bad. it's like the play is never dead, right? The receiver can just keep drifting because Mahomes can deliver it if you just give him enough time. So we need a big game out of Miles that I wouldn't say blitz Mahomes a lot. You know, I, I've seen other teams like the Raiders. They had success twice against them by just you know, sending four. And there's been protection issues on the Chiefs' offensive line. Obviously, they've had a lot of, of injuries on that front. So, Miles, it's got, he's going to have to have a big game and, 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 you know, keep him in the pocket, um, but go get him. Because when you go get Mahomes, I don't want to say he throws interceptions because he's only throwing maybe like two or three this year. But in those games, it was the games when he was getting rushed by four and they were still getting pressure. I think the Patriots was another team. That also did that again. Here's a matchup that Hawk definitely won't be watching, but if you're a real avid NFL football fan, you should be watching because it's going to have a big impact on the outcome of the game. It's Miles Garrett over the right tackle. Mitchell Schwartz not playing in this game. Mitchell Schwartz, perennial All-Pro, former Cleveland Brown, former teammate of ours. He's out. Back injury. I don't think he's playing the rest of the season. So Mitchell will be going against the backup right tackle in Kansas City. I mean, uh, Miles will be going against backup tackle in Kansas City. Miles has been playing a lot more over the right tackle at the end of the season. And that is a matchup the Browns can take advantage of. And that's a spot where they can start to really impact Patrick Mahomes, get him to speed up his clock, get him to get uncomfortable being in the pocket and hopefully maybe maybe force him into some of those turnover-worthy plays, whether it's the sack fumbles that Miles was really good at early in the season, or maybe it's just getting him to throw into some coverage down the field because he's trying to force the ball down the field and he's getting hit as he's throwing. Besides Patrick Mahomes, what player on the Chiefs are you most scared of this game? Uh, Tyreek Hill. Mm. Because, all right, we're hoping to have Denzel Ward and Kevin Johnson back. Two corners, two very good corners. Denzel Ward, all pro. Um, but they haven't played in a while. And they both had, or they both been on the COVID list. So where does that put you from a cardiovascular standpoint? Where does that put you from a speed standpoint? And we both know how dangerous Tyreek Hill is running down the field and we know that Patrick Mahomes can get him the ball no matter where he is. And that's the dagger that the Browns can't give up. They cannot let the ball go over their heads to Tyreek Hill at all. Because, like we said, they want to be able to run the football. They can't play catch-up in this game if they get behind two or three scores. Um, yeah. So that is the guy I'm going to be watching. Who's the matchup you're going to be watching? Travis Kelsey. He scares me the most. Um, best tight end in the league. The most consistent mm. tight end in the league. Member of the Tom Flock. Member of the Tama Flock, um, Cleveland native. He's going to be juiced up for this game. And I don't know if we have a matchup that's good enough to contain him, to be real. The other one um, that I would say 1B would be Tyron Matthew. Because to your point, it's going to be really important we don't turn the ball over. And mm -hmm. Tyron is a very, very smart player, general on the defense. He studies tape like a madman. He knows everything. And he understands the importance of just flipping just one of those possessions uh, what that means for this team, and it scares me. I said, when we had a show earlier in the season for the Cleveland Browns, uh, we were with Chris Rose, and he asked, what does the one, if, if Baker does this thing, the Browns will end up in the playoffs. And I said, if he throws less than 13 interceptions. Mm. That he did, and that's where they end up. And if you look at last week, a big part of that was him not turning the ball over, <laughs> right? So if he can do that again this week, um, it does give them the best chance. So Tyron Matthew, 
is a is a could be a wrench in that that mm-hmm. game plan. So that's what I'm looking for there. I think Chris Rose um, may have been using the same script for the interview that he did with me in preseason <laughs> because he asked me the exact same question, and it kind of caught me off guard because I hadn't thought about it, and I was like, um, uh, uh, um, if uh, Nick Chubb averages more than four and a half yards per carry, the Browns will make the playoffs, and which was kind of stupid take because I think Nick Chubb is averaging like. 40 yards of carry right now. <laughs> and so uh, it wasn't even close. But I guess technically it was correct because I said right, four though. and a half and uh, it was a little bit lower of a bar than it should have been. But they made the playoffs <laughs> anyway. All right. So now it's time. So who are you picking? Are you picking the Browns over the Chiefs? And if you are, you got to give me a score in this scenario. My son, when after the, after the Browns beat the Steelers, he was like just laying on the floor. It reminded me. I remember when the when the when the Cavaliers won a 2016 championship. He just like laid on the floor hugging his LeBron jersey, of like, man, we did it. He's such a, a Cleveland sports day. It's it's hilarious. You would That's think. Awesome. I guess he's from there, so it makes. But sense. I, but, but I talked to, I talked to people this past couple of weeks, and there's so many guys that played with us in Cleveland for just like a couple of weeks or a month or maybe just a few years, and they've moved away. And they're all raising their kids as Browns fans. And I don't know what exactly it is about Cleveland that when you live there for a little while, like becoming a sports fans of those Cleveland teams just gets in your blood. And then you raise your kids like that. Like people I talked to from LA, um, a friend of a friend who was a Browns fan. I like gave him a shout out as like a a Christmas present. And I was Uh, like, why is he a Browns fan? Oh, well, his dad grew up in Cleveland so he's a Browns fan, and he's raising all of his kids in L.A. to be Browns fans. Andrew Siciliano, he grew up in the D.C. area. Yep. He's a huge Browns fan. Why? Because it was like his grandpa or his dad lived in Cleveland. It's like I don't see that from other fan bases. I don't know about you, but it just seems like even Fat Net. She's, I don't think she's ever been to Cleveland except for when we did the live Tomahawk show. That's, and the, she's question like I get, that's the question I get asked the most. You're a Browns fan? Why? How? <laughs> yeah, no, that that's that's true, man. And, and I said this earlier in the week, and you know, <clears throat> some like people are not a huge Bengals fan. No, and I kicked him out of the house when he was, if everyone can remember. <laughs> so we had to we got that straight real quick. But even more than that, I think there is like again for all the players that have come through Cleveland over the last twenty years, man. I'm telling you, when you come there, no matter the circumstance, you think you're going to be the player. And be a part of the, the the team that turned it around. And there's such a vested interest in it. Like, like you want to see it happen. You want it. And when you didn't get it, it did feel like, ah, I wasn't able to do it. Um, so you you still have a vested interest in the success they have now. It's not like, oh, you weren't a part of that. Like, a, a lot of the players that I've talked to that used to play for the Browns, you know, they, they're genuinely excited. Because they understand that all the things that went wrong in those times were the thing that set it on the right path. Even down to us, us taking those losses with 30 mm. rookies on the team, yeah, right? And us not being mentally right because we're getting, <laughs> we're losing every week and it's sucking and our families having to go through that. Like, yo, we were a part of that. I don't give a damn what nobody says because if we don't do that, they don't get in the position to have the draft capital and the money and bring the players at the end and the right <laughs> coaches, right? Like, I don't. Everyone has a, a part in it, man, and I and I'm so excited for Cleveland fan base who has gone through this for decades, yeah. and you know anybody who's excited in my my son, he's like, I'm like, who do you got to win next week? He's laying on the floor as they beat the Steelers. He's like, I don't care. The Chiefs are the beast. I still think the Browns win. 
maybe by two points. Maybe it comes down to a Cody Parkey field goal. But even if they don't, I don't care. We want a playoff game. And I was like, I feel you, man. You're not wrong. Oh, that's amazing. Do you know that during the first 0-16 run, which we ended up being 1-15 that year, yep. uh, there was a lot of people that were real hostile towards us. I'm not sure if you know like how much hatred was happening towards the Browns. At one point, because I was tight with the security people, somebody came by the entrance to our facility and dumped like a whole case of nails in front of the, the, the <laughs> like the driveway. <laughs> and they had to they had to put up um, video camera license plate readers outside of the facility because people were driving by were like making signs like you guys fucking suck like like becoming <laughs> threatening, dumping nails like. It was not a safe situation for us in those two seasons. So I feel like these guys definitely owe us. But um, to your point with the kids, my, my youngest daughter is two, and she was born in Wisconsin. Obviously, she's being raised a Browns fan. But um, on Sunday, she came downstairs with her Browns jersey on, and she loves the chant, here we go, Brownies, here we go, hoo, hoo. And she was <laughs> saying it all day. It's so cute. It's so much fun. Um, that's a little sidebar. It just gives me a smile every time I think about it. But all right. Take, take the fans into the locker room. Kevin Stefanski's in the locker room in Arrowhead Stadium, which, by the way, is my least favorite visiting locker room in the NFL right now Ooh. since the Meadowlands got torn down. Uh, oh, sorry. Buffalo's worse because they only have, yeah, like, Buffalo's two showers at work and they don't have hot water and their and locker room one, smells like one poop. Shitter. And one right. shitter. And they have a, a locker room attendant that has, like, the industrial size Febreze bottle with, yeah. like, a CO2 cartridge because they have to use it so much. <laughs> that comes through and just sprays it constantly uh, like every five minutes so yeah. that you can't smell the sewer. Um, but anyway, so Arrowhead would be, what is that number two? Um, it's tiny, it's old, it's shitty, and you have to shower with the coaches, which makes for the most uncomfortable scene <laughs> yeah. in all of recorded history, especially, God bless Bob Wiley, I love you, but uh, that was not a fun shower experience. But anyways, going into Arrowhead, before the mighty Cleveland Browns are ready to storm and break down the door. What is the message that Kevin Stefanski sends to the team? Ah, you go first. I have no idea. I have no idea what he seems like such a mild mannered guy. He, he, he's so mild. He's probably just going to say, guys, you've done a great job getting to this point. Let's do our best to win the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he seems like Let's, all knowledge. Based. Yeah, we're we're going to take the ball if we win the toss. <laughs> no, I think what, what his message is going to be if, if, if I'm putting myself into his shoes is, guys, you have shocked the world to this point to where you are right now. You have slain the beast with the Steelers last week, the team that has had your number as a team, as an organization for so long. This journey has been the journey of a lifetime for so many people, so many fans, so many men in this room, but that journey does not have to end right here, right now. Go out there, play the game of your life. Don't worry if there's a little adversity because there's gonna be adversity. At some point, Patrick Mahomes is gonna go out and be an MVP and he's gonna make a great play. Don't panic. We've got the game plan that we need to be able to go out and continue this great run because this is our year of destiny. Why not us? Why not now? Oh, 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 oh. Here we go, Brownies. Here we go. Ooh, I would imagine. And also, fans should know that the players 
don't chant here we go brownies that's no they don't a, do that they probably don't even listen to the pregame speech they're probably like most yeah, no. of them are in the training room like Head just trying to get on. their last little spat on their shoes right i'm like painting my face like like a, yeah, like right, a makeup right. tutorial all you divas my, are in the, in, the, in the locker room in the mirror looking and trying to get your eye black TikTok on dances. yeah, yeah I, I always ask guys like dude it's a night game why do you need the eye black i don't think you need that shit they, they got to play loose, man. There's nothing to lose. Yeah. Nobody expects you to win. This isn't a game you're going too tight. So I'm, I'm hoping that they go out there and play, and play loose because they Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback on planet Earth. That is, it's hard to argue. You know what I mean? So you're 10-point underdogs. You were 9-point underdogs a week ago. That doesn't mean shit. Go out there, play loose the way you did last week, play your game, and you just might end up in the AFC Championship game. Nat, I know you have an allegiance to uh, Patrick Mahomes. Mm. Um who are you picking in this game? And I should ask. I'm all picking the, the Browns, obviously. Right. I'm picking right, the Browns. I think it's going to be a close one, but I am picking them to win. I also think that, you know, if for some reason they do lose, I I don't foresee people being as pissed as any time before because of how yeah. well they've done and how far they've come, and because of last week's game. But I do think I'm I'm picking them to win. They're gonna do it. I love it. I'm I'm, I'm lobbying for a, a wild card weekend uh, championship banner to hang up. In the- <laughs> <laughs> Playoff rings for all the players. Yeah. Like I feel like that's the Tomahawk Show theme. Like we are wild <laughs> podcast wild card weekend champions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Scores. Oh, yeah, scores. That's right. But the moment you've all been waiting for, ladies and gentlemen. Here it is, ladies scores. and germs. Ladies right. and germs. Scores. Children of all ages. I, I do. I pick scores with Cynthia Freeland from the NFL Network, who is like an analytics guru. Oh, she's all over that. She has a model. She has like a computer uh, system that literally generates what the outcomes of games. And it's so accurate, as well as Greg Rosenthal, who's been an NFL writer for 20 plus years. Uh, and they pick scores. And on the show, they're like, how could you think? I'm like, Browns. <laughs> it's very <laughs> like, uh, do you want to give us a score? <laughs> yeah. Then I give like ridiculous scores that don't make sense. All right. So for this score, Chiefs are favored by 10. I think it'll be a little high scoring, but not that high scoring. So I'm going to go 28, no, 27, 27, 24 Browns. I got the Browns 33 to 30 in a thriller in Arrowheadella. Yeah, there you go. Nat, give us the score. I'm going 23-17, Browns. All right. Well, last week we all picked the Browns, and we were the only people writing all of sports media. So pat ourselves on the backs for that, and we'll see how this week uh, fares out. What else you got, Joe? Any final thoughts? No, I feel like uh, Browns win. You can expect to see another uh, – Twitter live session from us. I will yep. probably be intoxicated like last time. Uh, you can fun. find me at Joe Thomas 73. You can find Hawk at the apropos named at Hawk. Yep. On Twitter. Uh, Nat. It is Fat Nat. P-H-A-T-N-A-T-T-T. Lots of T's. The triple T. And other than that, I think go visit Mission Barbecue and go check us out on Cameo. Since we don't have any sponsors, we have no ads other than just shameless self-promotion. Exactly. And I'll promote my company coming up here really soon. I can't. It's going to launch really, really soon. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. All right. Well. No that, name. That was no a great name. <laughs> Check out my company called To Be Named Later. <laughs> Tell you what it's about. Um, 
All right. Well, who's taking us out? Matt? Joe? Hawk yourself. <laughs>